you know the difference between an optimist and a pessimist? An optimist thinks things will get better. A pessimist knows they won't. A pessimist has no hope. And we've become a nation of pessimists. A recent Wall Street Journal poll followed up on questions that were first asked 25 years ago. And in almost every category, things have gotten worse. 25 years ago, 64% of Americans were confident that life for the next generation would be better. Today, only 21% believe that things will get better for the children. And it doesn't even have to be the next generation. We don't think things will get better for our generation either. Only 15% of people are very hopeful that the economy will get better next year. Americans are pretty pessimistic. And it's not surprising seeing as many of the values that Americans live by are in steep decline. 25 years ago, 62% of Americans said that religion was very important. This year, 39%. 25 years ago, 59% said having children was very important. Today, 30%. And you don't even have to go back 25 years. Just four years ago, 62% of people said that being involved in your community was important. I mean, that's one of our values here at Resurrection Church, that we bless the Hastings community. And four years ago, 62% said that that was important. Now, just 27% feel that way. 80% of people four years ago said that tolerance for other people was very important. 80%. Pretty good. But that has dropped by 22% in just the last four years. No wonder... When they asked people if they were very happy, only 12% said that they were. Columnist Aaron Zittner wrote of these results, the one thing that we're united in is our pessimism. Or as one of you said to me the other day, you know, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> but you might say, we're not pessimists. We're just realists. And the reality is that this world stinks. And it's getting worse. It's going to, going to hell in a handbasket. And we doubt that anything will be okay. You name it. Kids, climate, crime, war, shootings, even the weather. No. Don't call us pessimists. Call us doubters. Do you relate to that? Do you relate to that? Do you have doubts about the future? Do you look at the world and maybe even have doubts about God's care? Do you have doubts about Jesus? Are you a doubter? Well, that's okay. Because God has you right where he wants you. Because Jesus loves a good doubter. 
And he enjoys nothing more than seeing doubts turned into joy and unbelief turned into belief. Like the man with the, uh, the troubled child in Mark chapter 9. There's this famous, that's the famous story where, where the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, I believe, but I have my doubts, Jesus. Please help me. I admit it. I'm a doubter. But with your help, I can dare to hope. Hope that my son gets well. And Jesus says, oh boy, let's, let's give this man some hope. Well, here's the story. When Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, he only took a couple of disciples up there. The rest of his disciples were, were down below. And when he comes down the mountain, he finds them arguing with the, the Jewish religious experts. They've gotten into a big fight. And it's almost, uh, it's almost comical when you think about it. What a... And neither of them are, are worth anything. I mean, these folks are arguing between themselves. Meanwhile, the child who needs help is left helpless, and the man who needs hope, his father, is left hopeless. Well, they argue with one another. Well, Jesus comes down the mountain, and he says, What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire, or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us, if you can. If you can. These are the words of a doubter. Jesus, I've tried everything. The doctors are useless. Your disciples are useless. But if you can do something, have mercy on us and help us. So what do you think Jesus says to this doubting, hurting parent? Does he say, get away from me, you doubter. You're not worthy of my help. Is that what you think Jesus says to your doubting heart when you're struggling and you're wondering if Jesus can do anything to help? Of course not. He almost chuckles as, as he says here, what do you mean if I can, Jesus asks. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus does. 
When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as the people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet. And he stood up. Can you imagine the smile on the father's face? Can you imagine the smile on Jesus' face when another doubter finds hope again? Jesus is not afraid of your doubts. He's not intimidated when you wonder if he cares. He doesn't reject you if you have trouble hoping for a world where your children can actually have it better. Where the ones who are supposed to know better don't waste all their time arguing with one another instead of helping. You might be pessimistic, but that's okay. Jesus can work with that. Sure, you look out at the news and and you lose hope. Call it pessimism or realism. You think things are pretty bad and you doubt they'll improve. But imagine, imagine how hopeless they felt back on Good Friday where Jesus, their last hope for a miracle, the one who could could heal people like that boy, Jesus is hung on a cross and dies a criminal's death. Your Messiah dies under a sign that says, the king, the king of the Jews, what has the world come to when the most loving, the most kind, the most powerful person that ever lived is crushed by the people who are supposed to look out for us? The government and the religious leaders there. And then he dies in front of your very eyes. And you watch as he's buried. And with him, any hope that you have for a better future. then, of course, came Easter. And Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to Mary and Mary and Salome and the disciples. And hope is restored. And we celebrated that last Sunday. But one of the disciples wasn't with them then to see the risen Jesus. Just like we weren't there to see him that Easter. And so this disciple doubted that there could be such good news. I don't know if he's a pessimist or a realist, but he doubted. We find his story in John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This is how Thomas got his nickname, Doubting Thomas. And people still use it today as a bit of a a slur. Oh, she's just a Doubting Thomas. And they say that meaning that, that she's someone who has no reason to be so skeptical. 
But sometimes we do. And if you aren't a bit of a doubter when somebody tells you that they saw your friend walking around town that you saw buried the week before, I would say that you are not just an optimist. I would say you're goofy. You better doubt stories like that. Now, of course, Jesus was walking around on Easter, and the disciples really did see him, but Thomas doubted, and for good reason. Thomas doubted, and that's okay, because Jesus loves a good doubter, and there is nothing that he enjoys more than seeing doubts turn to joy again. Unbelief turned to belief. Far from rejecting Thomas and criticizing him for his doubts, I think Jesus couldn't wait for the next Sunday when he knew that Thomas would be there with the disciples and he could show up. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. There was no one else in the history of the church who ever got to put their finger in the nail holes in Jesus' hands. As creepy as that is. But Thomas said, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, I will not believe so Jesus says, bring it on, Tommy boy. Here they are. Have at it. There's no shaming of his doubts. Only joy at watching unbelief turn to belief. Imagine the smile on Jesus' face when Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God. That's verse 28. My Lord and my God. Jesus never ceases to find joy in bringing doubters to faith. There's a recent movie called Jesus Revolution, and it's about the rise of the Jesus movement back in the 70s that evangelized the hippies and, and, uh, and some of you and uh, brought thousands of, of people to Christ through a different approach to, to worship and evangelism. And one of the main characters uh, back then um, and in the movie is Greg Laurie, Greg is a pastor in California, and I was reading one of his blogs the other day, and he was talking about two earlier evangelists and their encounters with doubt. And he says that Billy Graham is, is probably familiar to you as the most famous and successful American evangelist of all time. But he had a friend who was equally skilled at bringing people to Jesus. He was a Canadian named Chuck Templeton. Graham and Templeton were, were early workers in Youth for Christ. And in the 40s, they traveled around packing rooms and leading revival. Many, many thought it would be the eloquent and brilliant Templeton who would bring the world to Jesus, more, more so than Graham. But soon Templeton began to have doubts about the faith. He became an agnostic, and he wrote books rejecting Christianity. This caused Billy Graham to have his own doubts. And so Graham began to study everything that he could 
not just the Bible, but, but everything trying to, to calm the doubts in his heart. It was a true crisis of faith. And finally, racked with doubts, Billy dropped to his knees in prayer. And as with doubting Thomas and, and the doubting father, Jesus provided the hope that he needed. Shortly after that spiritual experience, uh, Billy Graham led the Los Angeles crusade that would change his ministry in the world. That crusade uh, was extended for five additional weeks, and during that time, he preached to 350,000 people in person. And 3,000 of them became believers. Templeton, on the other hand, went on to a career in TV and radio, politics and advertising and, and books. His final book, this farewell to God, it was his parting shot at Christianity. And he listed the reasons why he left the faith. But even then, the Lord was speaking to his doubts. 25 years ago, shortly before Templeton died, he was interviewed by another atheist trying to make the case against believing in Jesus. That author's name was Lee Strobel. You might have heard of him. Lee's wife had become a believer, and as a journalist, he set out to prove her wrong. Usually not a good thing to do in a marriage, but uh, that's what he did. And he didn't tell her, unless I put my finger in the nail holes in Jesus' hand, I won't believe. But, but he didn't think that he would have any trouble proving why someone should, shouldn't believe in Jesus. Now, of course, in, in looking at the evidence, God convinced him otherwise. And he was moved from doubt to belief. And he wrote the book, The Case for Christ, a journalist's personal investigation of the evidence for Jesus. Not exactly what he thought. Anyways, Strobel was interviewing this old doubter, Templeton. And he was shocked to hear Templeton say, Jesus is the most important thing in my life. I know it may sound strange, but I have to say it, I adore him. And if I may put it this way, I miss him. When Templeton died, Jesus didn't show up like he did for Thomas, at least as far as we know. But his wife said he gazed up and saw angels. And he said, look at them. Look at them. They're so beautiful. They're waiting for me. I'm coming. I'm sure Jesus was smiling. Jesus loves nothing more than seeing doubts turn to joy and unbelief turn to belief again. So what about you? Do you wrestle with doubts? Do you worry whether God really cares? Have you given up hope? That's okay. Jesus loves doubters. And Jesus loves it even more when doubters come to say, my Lord and my God. And that's why the Bible was written, or at least specifically the Gospel of John that we've been reading from. Here's what John writes after 
Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And John says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This was written so you could believe, so you can come to belief. In other words, this was written for doubters. So doubters can come to have faith and have hope. It's written to rewrite the ending for all of us who think it's only going to get worse. It was written to give us hope again. The cross crushed the disciples' hope. It was evident, evidence that, that they were not pessimists, but realists when they doubted how things were going to turn out. The last Sunday was Easter, and Easter changed the world. And it changed the world not only for those in ancient Israel, it changed the world for all of us and for all time. It changed pessimism to optimism, fear to confidence, and from doubt to hope. In this spring sermon series, we're going to look at all of the stories that occur after Jesus is raised from the dead in the 40 days that he walked this earth. Now you may think that that uh, is a lot, but there are only seven chapters in the Bible that talk about that time from when Jesus was raised to when Jesus ascends to heaven after spending 40 days here. In fact, there's not even, uh, there's not even enough time to fill out the sermon series. So, so we're going to add those extra 10 days the 10 days between when Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came. So this spring we're going to look at resurrection to Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Just seven chapters. But seven chapters that give us hope again. Seven chapters in 50 days. Tells us that God's power is bigger than our doubts that we can hope once more. In spite of declining American values and uh, forecasts of snow and the prevailing pessimism in our world, it tells us we can have hope. And if right now you're a doubter, well, that's okay, because God loves a good doubter. And this was written so that you may come to believe. Jesus is the Messiah and have life in his name. In other words, this is written to tell you that hope wins again. Let's pray. Jesus, it is, it is true that there is so much wrong in the world. It's sometimes hard for us to trust in you and have faith. So, Lord, 
in your own way and in our own unique way. Show us your hands and your side. Let us know that you are alive and with us. Lord, you've given us your word so that we can come to know you. We're grateful for that. We ask for this, for the movement of your spirit within us so that we can have hope no matter what this world gives us. Even if there's snow this afternoon, Lord, you remind us, I'm with you. I'm alive. Because you live, we can live also. We pray this in your holy name.